this is Dave Infante. Welcome to Vine Pairs Tap Lines, a weekly interview series with brewing icons, industry insiders, and outspoken experts about the United States' most beloved and best-selling beers. It's modern American history, one beer at a time. You smell that, Tap Lines listener? Of course you don't. That's not how podcasts work. But if it was, you might detect the herbaceous scent of a Negroni or the seductive aroma of a well-made martini wafting through your speakers because today I'm joined by Tim McCurdy, Vine Pair Managing Editor and host of the absolutely must-listen Cocktail College podcast. Now I know what you're thinking. This is a beer show. What the hell is Dave doing giving precious episodes away to some tipple jockey? Or maybe you're not thinking that. Honestly, I hope you're not. That would be kind of weird. Plus, our man McCurdy is doing us a large format favor. I tapped him for his Taplines debut because we're going to be talking about some extremely recent history on this episode, and I needed his ace interviewing skills and broad beverage alcohol industry wisdom to help me tell the tale the way it demands. It's a hell of a tale, by the way. As you may have heard, one of the world's biggest cannabis companies, Tilray, just acquired a bunch of craft breweries and brands from the world's biggest macro brewery, Anheuser-Busch InBev. It's an $85 million deal with bold, potentially bizarre implications for both firms, plus the American craft brewing industry writ large. In other words, it's exactly the sort of story we love sniffing out here at Tapline. So today, Tim and I are going to flip the script, turn the tables, and talk about a piece of beer industry history in the making. It's Cocktail College's Tim McCurdy. It's the Tilray ABI Craft Brewing Shakeup. It's the answer to the question, who the hell in the right mind would pay good legal tender for Shock Top in 2023? And it's all right here, right now, on Five Pairs Tablets. Yes, 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 yes. It's our man, Tim McCurdy, joining the Taplines podcast. Tim, we are honored to be in the presence of what some may say, some are, people are talking, uh, Scotsman of the Year, um, Managing <laughs> Editor of the Year, um, a lot of accolades that people are already including you in the running for, but of course today you're the Taplines guest of the episode, and that's one the most important one. Tim, welcome to the show. Dave, thank you very much for having me. It's always great when you get to use the phrase "longtime listener, first time caller," and indeed, it is true today. We've got <laughs> we've got a, uh, listeners, Taplines listeners already know that we are about to dive into a crossover episode for the ages, but. We are figuring out the format. We're flying, you know, by the seat of our pants, our well-tailored slacks. Tim and I are going to put on a show for you. Of course, that's what we do here on Taplines. That's what Tim does uh, for all those tipple enthusiasts over at Cocktail College. But this show is going to be a little bit of improv, right, Tim? Yeah, you know, we're figuring it out. We're feeling it out as we go here. But I like that. And you know what I like about today's episode, Dave? Other than I'm going to have to listen to my own voice when this comes out. No, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> what I like about today is we're turning the tables. This is, you are, of course, always an expert in this field. You lead these incredible interviews on tap lines. But we're turning the camera to you, buddy. I mean, it was, it's always on you. But we're turning it to you today because, look, I'm a beer drinker. I'm a beer enthusiast. And I do cover the beverage alcohol space myself, too. But I'm not an expert like yourself when it comes to up-to-date deals, mergers, acquisitions, all of the above, fun things like that. So we're turning the spotlight to you today to talk about some pretty interesting recent developments. We're talking about business. That's right. We've got the business brains on. We've got our deal-making caps on. Tim is joining us today, like he said, to take over take over the helm. We're handing over the reins. I'm going to put myself uh, in the tap lines guest position. Very unusual. We're going to have to, we're going to have to adapt. We're going to have to overcome. And yeah, like you said, Tim, we've got a lot of developments going on in the American beer industry. I mean, we always do. It's been a really intense cycle for the beer industry, especially over the course of the past 18 months as the economy has kind of recovered and gone in weird new directions uh, post-pandemic. Um, but more recently, uh, uh, the reason we've got you on today is to talk about something uh, that just broke last week, um, the acquisition of eight different brands, count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
Anheuser-Busch InBev brands that uh, the world's biggest macro brewer is selling to uh, one of the world's biggest cannabis companies, the company based out of Ontario known as, I think Ontario, out of Canada, certainly uh, known as Tilray Brands. That deal was announced last Monday, if you'll be listening to this on Tuesday, uh, so just over eight days ago. Yeah, there, there's an, a deal, going to be a deal for uh, a bunch of Anheuser-Busch and Bev's brands, ABI, that Tilray is going to scoop up and uh, and do something with. We know mm-hmm. it's going to be something. It's not going to be nothing. You don't spend $85 million uh, on something to do nothing with it, of course. That was the price of those eight brands. But Unless you're Elon ex- Musk, but that's it, a lot more yeah, than then $85 million. You, <laughs> then you spend $44 billion on something you loved just to turn it into something that everyone hates. Thanks a lot, Elon Musk. Come on the show. We'd love to have you. Um <laughs> But yeah, so so that's that's the uh, you know that's where I think it's a good and this is your show you're you're in control but that's where I think it's a good place to start. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I'm thinking that too. You know, it feels like and again, maybe we're going to get into this, but it feels like maybe we're making up for lost time here. You said you know eight in one this deal we're talking about this acquisition and feels like acquisitions have cooled off in recent years in craft beer, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But first of all, I'm here wondering, what the hell is Tilray? I mean, you said that there's a cannabis company, but what's a, right. what's a Canadian cannabis company doing getting to the business of American craft beer in 2023? Tilray is, like I said, one of the biggest cannabis firms in the world. Um, it is a large conglomerate of dozens of different brands that it operates, you know, in its home market of Canada, then in the US where, uh, you know, marijuana is legal. Um, It has a medical cannabis business um, that it's, you know, it's producing, um, you know, product for uh, hospitals and and private practice that are writing scripts on that. And of course, uh, you know, for people who are producing medical products using THC, which is the active component in cannabis. So Tilray is this company it used to be known as Afria, A P H R I A. I think it was a different different company name, um, but it's it's been in the game for for quite some time, and its its business is basically roll ups, right? So it is it is slowly but surely acquiring you know companies and brands in cannabis um, with the hopes of you know federal legalization in the United States coming along, which is what a lot of cannabis firms are kind of staking their their futures on is you know legalization coming along and and opening up this market this highly lucrative market where a lot of uh, people want to use uh, cannabis products and have a bunch of discretionary income uh, as compared certainly to um, sort of less mature markets and Tilray is like them is hoping for the opportunity to do that in the future the alcohol, piece of the puzzle for Tilray is a relatively new development though, Tim. So, mm-hmm. um, only, uh, about three years ago, um, Tilray acquired a craft brewery that's based out of Atlanta, uh, called Sweetwater. Um, Sweetwater, you may be familiar with, um, 20. Is yeah, that the one? For, yeah, exactly. 420. Yeah. Like we'll make for, for those of you, uh, enjoying this as a listening experience, we're going to make some sound effects. Maybe we'll have to fix them up and post, but like, Oh yeah, 420 pale ale. I think it's an IPA. I don't know, man. But yes, uh, the weed reference, uh, obviously. Uh, so that seems like, like a, a kind of natural. Yeah, there's a, synerg- like a, a synergy there. there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think what the the weed reference might have sweetened the deal uh, when when Afria slash Tilray, yeah, hey, uh, was looking at Sweetwater. But I think what really attracted them to Sweetwater was this idea um, that you know, they can get into the American craft beer business and learn more about how American drinkers are um, shopping for craft style beverages, how that marketing works, how dealing with American regulators, uh, you know, works developing that musculature to be more, you know, ready to go um, if and when, you know, that, that go ahead, that say so from uncle Sam comes down and, uh, opens the floodgates federally, uh, on marijuana legalization. So that was, it seemed the thesis behind, uh, its acquisition, you know, Tilray's acquisition mm-hmm. of Sweetwater. Um, 
But more recently, uh, in the intervening you know few years, uh, Tilray has kind of slowly but steadily built up um, a not insignificant position um, in the American craft beer business, right? As the business itself is starting to flatten out and slow down and, you know, there's not a whole lot of growth, uh, to be had in craft beer right now, which, uh, Taplines listeners, uh, who mostly come here from the history of beer may or may not know, but the current state of the, of the craft brewing industry, like the beer industry more broadly is one of, you know, flat to slightly down growth. So you don't see normally a ton of that type of, sort of bullish moves into the space. And yet uh, Tilray, you know, would go on to acquire Green Flash and Alpine uh, out in California. They acquired Red Truck Brewery, the facility, although I don't think they still market the brand, um, which is out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And then they acquired Montauk Brewing Company uh, based on Long Island um, in late in 2022. So they're starting to build up this position, right? And mm-hmm. And you start to see maybe the contours of, of a strategy here uh, coming into focus. So I've got, I've got a quick follow-up question on that one because it sounds like, and I might be wrong, you know, one of the areas of my knowledge that's weak is ownership of brands and, you know, which larger corporation or conglomerate owns a certain brand. From the way you were describing that there, it sounds like those prior acquisitions have been Tilray kind of scooping up craft producers Whereas the deal that we're talking about today is, yes, Tilray acquiring craft brands, but from a large corporation. Is that a new development for this, you know, for this chapter of, of Tilray's kind of uh, taking steps for taking more steps into the into the beer industry? I think it's a new development for Tilray. Or I know it's a new development for Tilray. They have not made this type of big one fell swoop purchase before from ABI or any other firm, at least mm-hmm. as it pertains to the American beer business. But uh, I think it's a new thing for American craft beer. We've certainly seen you know, sort of roll up behavior over the course of the past five years or so, you'll see a private equity operator or a, you know, a large regional craft brewer go out and acquire smaller craft breweries uh, or put together a bunch of craft breweries in order to, to strengthen their purchasing power to find, you know, what the, since we have our business brains on uh, uh, those synerg- those sweet, sweet synergies uh, <laughs> to optimize and uh, ideally grow um, the business overall, right? So we've seen that type of behavior in this market so far. For example, Victory and Southern Tier, you know, formed Artisanal Brewing Ventures, uh, uh, Canarchy Collective before it was acquired by Monster Beverage Corporation in um, early 2022, um, was a roll-up by private equity firm, I believe Fireman Capital, that then sold it to someone else, and then it got sold to Monster. So we're seeing that type of move, and that's typical, um, as you mm-hmm. would expect from a maturing industry where there are 9,700 breweries and there's, you know, sort of everyone's going after a slice of a pie that is slowly sort of, you know, uh, shrinking, maybe too strong a word, but right now it is not, it's contracting a little bit. It's not growing. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. you, you see businesses go out and try to find more leverage to get, uh, better pricing, you know, more favorable pricing on inputs, better marketing muscle, et cetera, et cetera. What we haven't seen and what this is really different is that purchase from one big player, you know, to another big player, um, Anheuser-Busch and Tilray are not the same size business, not by a long shot. Uh, Tilray's market capitalization is probably like, I don't know, 80 times less than Anheuser-Busch's. So we're not talking about, you know, peers necessarily, but we are talking about one, you know, vice conglomerate, if we want to call it that. I don't, you know, they're diversified vice or diversifying vice conglomerate, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, buying um, a suite of brands from another, that type of B2B deal at this level um, really is not something we've seen before in American craft brewing. Um, and I think that opens up kind of a new chapter for a bunch of reasons. The biggest is that ABI is clearly signaling, or I, th- I believe clearly signaling with this, that everything is for sale in its portfolio uh, it, when it comes to craft brewing. I don't see, you know, certainly the company says that they're committed to the breweries that remain in their portfolio. I think it's 11 or so. Um, I just don't see evidence for that based on, 
mm-hmm. all, all of their, you know, their, their recent track record of stewarding those brands. So uh, we may see more fire sales to come, whether it's from ABI, uh, Molson Coors has a stable of craft breweries. Constellation, of course, uh, uh, did, and they're they're kind of getting out of the business. But mm-hmm. you know, so I think that's that is a that's a paradigm shift that I I think we may see play out more um, as these firms look to rationalize their craft brewing footprint because that segment is is slowing up. So before we get into the the details, maybe break apart uh, brewery by brewery or brand by brand or, you know, some that stand out to you, I guess just, you know, on a macro level again here, does that therefore mean that this is more significant in terms of from the point of view of ABI selling these, like, is that a bit more significant part of the story or is Tilray buying them in one swoop? Do you know what I mean? Or is it six of one and half a dozen of the other? That is a perceptive question, my dear Scott. I think for the purposes of our conversation here, because Taplines is a beer podcast and a beer history podcast, and we've talked before uh, with John Laffler, for example, listeners, you may remember his episode about Goose Island's acquisition in 2011 and how Anheuser-Busch sort of signaled that it was going to push hard into the craft brewing space. Um, For the purposes of our conversation and through this lens, I think that it's at the very least uh, an equal story that ABI appears to be, you know, sort of making its moves to shed its craft assets that it believes are underperforming. Um, I think that's at least equivalent in scope and significance uh, to the beer, uh, you know, the beer audience that's probably listening right now uh, yeah. than to the fact that Tilray is buying its way in. I think you have to look at ABI's moves over the past, you know, what is it, 12 years since 2011 when they when they bought uh, Goose Island. Um, you have to look at that as at the, you know, a mixed bag at least. You more maybe cynically might say that that's just a failed experiment. I don't, you know, they've never really got the craft brewing division firing on all cylinders. There were these there's sort of like grand ideas for how they were going to transform the segment. They were going to steward the segment into its you know new future. Um, their powerful distribution network was going to be able to bring all of these fantastic beers from their entire network of craft breweries all across the country and all across the world. Some of that happened. They made a good show of it. They invested in a bunch of breweries, of course, because they bought them all. And then uh, also like kind of these ancillary businesses that looked like they were craft adjacent and looked like it was a real commitment to the space. I think, you know, I'm talking, of course, about like they acquired ratebeer.com. They acquired Northern Brewer, which was a big home brewing supply company. They acquired or they launched, they launched a fucking joint venture with Condé Nast <laughs> Uh, called October, which was a publication. Um, many, <laughs> some of our uh, audience may remember reading. Some of them may have even written for him. Um, yeah. there, there was it was a um, it was a beer publication. So uh, ABI, and that was through ZX Ventures, which is like their little incubator thing. But for intents, all intents and purposes, like ABI is making these moves to sort of align itself or a portion of its business with the craft brewing industry because it sees an opportunity for a lot of growth. You know, at that time, people are talking about 20% of the beer market by 2020 is what craft is going to, going to hold. It would never, it would never get there, but, um, that was, you know, it was a very bullish moment. It was very frothy and they wanted in, um, smash cut to, you know, 2023. And I think it's pretty clear that things have not worked out for ABI the way they want them to, uh, mm-hmm. they, the way they hoped that they would. Um, their breweries are, you know, these craft breweries are mostly not having success. Uh, there are a few bright spots, certainly in terms of, especially like individual SKUs. If you look at there's growth opportunities, but you know, the, the breweries overall are not, are not doing great. Um, Mm -hmm. ABI has wound down all of those experiments or gotten itself out of all of those, you know, sort of ancillary businesses that I was talking about for the most part. And like everyone else in the craft brewing segment, you know, ABI's craft breweries are struggling to attract and just as importantly, more importantly, retain drinkers who are increasingly 
enthralled by, you know, spirits based canned cocktails and um, just spirits generally. Like that's that's where all of the drinker attention is right now. And they have not figured out a great answer for that. The difference between ABI's craft breweries and the 9,700 other craft breweries that operate is ABI has a ton of money. Like they, (laughs) if anyone should be able to navigate these waters, uh, it should be them. They have no real excuse that they lack scale, that they lack expertise, that they lack connections, because those are all the things that they pitch themselves to those breweries that went out and acquired that's all the stuff they pitch to them. It's like, hey, with us, you'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. You'll be able to get distribution. You'll be able to do innovative stuff. You'll be able to steer the market forward. I think it's pretty clear that that has not come to fruition. And I think that um, the fact that Tilray is able to move in, uh, ABI says they approach them. Um, The fact that Tilray is able to get ABI on the phone and uh, and say, hey, man, like what what do you want to, you know, what can you put on the block for us? Because we're we're interested in making a cash a cash offer, which it was. Um, you don't do that with successful businesses. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's really interesting. I mean, ABI is being very transparent with its actions here, right? They're not trying to. It doesn't sound like they're trying to frame this as something that it's not. And you mentioned earlier the fact that you know they remain, or they say they remain committed to the remaining brands in their portfolio. But um, as I know you have written about, you know, if I work for one of those, I'd be starting to feel a little bit worried. I hope that that's not the case. You know what I mean? But that future certainly doesn't seem certain. But maybe this comes back to perceptions again here too, right? So on the one hand, it sounds like ABI is very transparently saying here we no longer believe in craft or we're kind of done with this little fun project that we had. We're bored. We're moving on to the next thing. Right. And then on the other hand, I got something here that I, I got to ask you about. So uh, there's a quote linked to this deal and it's the Tilray CEO whose name I'm looking at here, Erwin Simon, not to be confused with Simon Irwin, two different people. Uh, and, you know, that mistake can easily be made. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Erwin Simon says, he told investors last month, um, craft beer is cool and will become cooler. Um, if we take him at face, are we to take him at face value here, Dave? Do we believe what he's saying? Does he believe what he's saying? Or is he um, maybe partaking in some of the other stuff they produce over there at Tilray? Yeah, getting high on his own supply. I mean, look, it's always, <laughs> it's always a potential, of course, not to cast aspersions on uh, Mr. Simon, but uh, you know that's a temptation as old as time. I think when I saw that quote, it was, uh, I think it came out July 27th and it was in, I think they're like the close of their fiscal year. It was in a pr- presentation to analysts uh, over, you know, how the company is doing an earnings report or something along these lines. And uh, it stuck out to me because that does not comport with all of my reporting <laughs> on what craft beer is to the American drinking public in 2023 and 2022 and 2021, you know, for the last four years, five years or so. Craft brewing has seen its cultural cachet, you know, talking about coolness, um, has seen like its cultural cachet erode as um, a new generation of drinkers comes online, right? You start to see Gen Z drinkers not only, um, you know, hitting legal drinking age, uh, because of course, Tim, no one drinks uh, until they turn 21, as you know, uh, here yeah. on Tap Lines, we, uh, we strictly adhere to all federal uh, drinking rules and regulations. Uh, As Gen Z drinkers started to come online, certainly like they started shaping preferences, but Gen Z had already at that point started dictating culture um, even before, you know, they really started drinking at volume. This is the nature of, you know, cultural cycles. Like at some point you're no longer a kid anymore and you realize like they're listening to different music. They're wearing different clothes. You're washed up. You're old that's really kind of how uh, craft brewing, you know, started to find itself at the close of last decade and into this one is that it was no longer the, you know, the new kid on the block. It no longer had a novel and intriguing value proposition, so to speak, with uh, with you know drinkers who um, were taken in by its anti corporate um, us versus them, David and Goliath, uh, you know, facade and its full flavored beers. So they had mm-hmm. to adjust. 
Um, they have struggled to adjust. I think, you know, I'm saying they as the industry, of course, individual breweries within it have had varying levels of success. Some have done quite well. Um, but I think as the industry as a whole has not really aged particularly gracefully, especially not like in terms of its cultural uh, footprint here in the U.S. And mm -hmm. so you hear Simon say that or you read, I read the quote that he said, and I'm just like, man, this guy either is a visionary and has an angle on the industry that I simply don't, which is possible. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the president. I don't, uh, I don't know everything. I get stuff wrong. Taplines listener. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we must call it out as such. Uh, but I think the, the question is, okay, if he's, if he's serious about this, um, you know, and, and this is not just him, sort of gassing up investors because now they have a stake in craft brewing and, you know, July 27th, they had yet to announce this deal. But in hindsight, I think you have to read that as him priming the pump to know, get, get analysts excited about this deal when it breaks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think if, if that's really what he thinks, um, then he is seeing a different side of the industry than many, many other craft breweries are. And I think mm -hmm. it's worth figuring out or discussing um, at least uh, what that view looks like from the Tilray captain's chair, because um, you know, right now I just, as we're recording this just a few hours prior um, I was uh, in a presentation from the Brewers Association's chief economist, Bart Watson has not been on tap lines yet, but Someday, Bart, we He'll will have you on. We look forward to having you in your future state. Uh, and Bart's uh, uh, mid-year review for 2023 is that um, you know craft brewing as a segment is between two and four percent down, depending on how you slice it. So again, this is not this is not a nosedive, but it's also it uh, does that say cool and getting cooler to you because it certainly doesn't to me man no but you know simon says so we, we, we should listen to what simon says here today on tap lines yeah simon um, says pass the joint yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> abi is getting out Tilray's getting in if you're erwin simon right now dave you're sat there you're looking over this new portfolio of beer brands craft brewers that you bought what are you most excited about? What do you what do you feel like? Where do you think he sees the biggest opportunity here? Yeah, because or or maybe yeah, you can maybe you can just reel off for us first of all here, like who are the names yeah, in yeah. there? Are the important names to know? And then out of those, maybe tell us what you're thinking he's most excited about right now and where the opportunity is. The brands that got acquired, there were seven beer brands slash breweries, you know, that had whatever, this will be clear in a second, the reason I'm making this distinction. So we had, uh, we had Breckenridge Brewery, we had Blue Point Brewing Company in, in Long Island, uh, Ten Barrel, which is in Bend, Oregon, uh, Red Hook, which is in Seattle, Widmer is in Portland, and Square Mile Cider Company, which is also, I believe, in Portland. Um, and then there was also uh, included in the deal was an erstwhile energy drink brand, a non-alcoholic energy drink brand that ABI acquired in 2019. And just, I don't know if they threw it in as like a deal sweetener or what it's called <laughs> highball. They, they gave up on it. They had bought it in 2019 and they just straight up discontinued it in May, 2023. So like they had already been like, cool, this thing is bad. We are no longer going to do it as a business. And then it shows up in this Tilray deal uh, how does it, how do, I mean, how does that even work? A brand no longer exists, know. but it's part of the deal? I don't know. That's a, yeah. that's kind of a weird caveat, or I weird mean, kind of asterisk. AVI, of course, owns the intellectual property, owns the formula, owns the, the label, uh, the trademarks. That's fair enough, yeah. All that good shit. And I would assume it actually kind of begs the question of, like, what else is in their, like, vast portfolio <laughs> of, like, failed acquisitions and, like, internal house brands you know, that, that could be for sale or that like, you know, is just in a graveyard buried somewhere, uh, you know, on the outskirts of St. Louis, um, of all these <laughs> things that could be resurrected at any time if they ever need a bunch of quick cash and they can find a buyer for them. But that actually segues nicely into the last brand that's involved in this deal, which is Shock Top. Man. I'm going to hold you there for a second. Shock Top? Shock Top, I say. <laughs> I'm glad you said it, Dave. 
because I've got one here for the show for myself. <laughs> I can't believe you brought this, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, and for the listeners here and the non-viewers of the show, I bought myself a shock top because this is news to me. I, I, I Of course, I've maybe seen shock top in bodegas, right? Uh, I've seen the bottles before. I've never tasted it. I'm about to taste my first here. Oh, you never had I'm it? Done. I've never had shock top in my life. Wow, we're making history. Normally, we talk about history on here on the Tap Lines podcast. Today on the Vine Pair Podcast Network, we are making history. We're making Vine history. Bear, <laughs> Vine Pair Managing Editor Tim McCurdy, <laughs> he of a, a excellent palate, a trained palate, uh, who normally dabbles in spirits based drinks. He's a martini expert, but he he goes the distance. He has the range, and today he will be tasting. You got a long yeah. neck of shock top there, buddy. Yeah, go ahead, take a sip. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say this just before I do take that sip. Look, I got ahead. I went and bought this beer because I've read your excellent coverage of this, both on Vine Pair and your column in Hop Take, but also on your newsletter fingers. So I knew probably the conversation today was going to veer in this in the direction of shock top uh so i had that little spoiler alert and that's why i've got one so cheers dave thank you for inspiring my drinking my <laughs> drinking choice today i'm just sorry uh, it led to shock top of all things but uh but cheers and uh what are your what are your initial impressions you know i'm with Irwin on this one you see a future I see a future cooling getting cooler. No, I mean, <laughs> tell me what tell me what, tell our listeners what many listeners probably have never tasted a shock top. What does it taste like? Yeah, I mean, you know, as it says on the front of the label here, Belgian white. I would say that it, you know, it's 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 kind of mild on that front for that style, at least in my limited experience. But yeah, it probably also. Well, actually, no. I was going to say the, the the power of suggestion here. There's a bright orange label on it. There's a there's an orange with a mohawk. As little the, dude, as the, yeah, yeah, little dude. And yet there is a hint of orange, but I don't think it's like cloyingly like creamsicle orange or anything. But I don't know. I mean, look, would I be reaching for this on a normal basis? Absolutely not. But am I going to drink it as we're chatting through the episode? Hell yeah. Godspeed to you. What I want to know is where that little dude was on January 6th is what I want to know. It's like, what, 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 was he, what was he up to? Uh, let's check the, uh, the social media. Yeah. Yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so shock top is a part of this deal. Uh, it's also now a part of your, your long and illustrious drinking career for better or worse. Shock top gets thrown into the deal with Tilray um, that ABI puts together. And like I said a little earlier, this deal is for about $85 million, um, all cash that Tilray is paying for. This is not a lot of money for even one brand, one national beer brand, let alone eight, right? Um, I did the quick back of the napkin math, assuming they're all the same amount of money, uh, you know, and we're all valued equally in the deal, which they almost certainly weren't, but we don't have any clarity into, you know, what the, the line by line breakdown was of the sum total. If you just divide, uh, uh, $85 million by eight, you get something like $10.6 million per brand. I mean, this is just a very, very cheap deal for Tilray, right? And it's wow. particularly cheap. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Uh, to put that in context, um, uh, Monster bought Canarchy in 2022 with, you know, a year and a half ago, because it was early 2022. Um, they bought Canarchy for like $330 million um, for a roughly comparable number of brands. Um Another point of context that Taplines listeners will surely be familiar with, given uh, it's been uh, uh, quite high profile uh, over the course of summer 2023, is um, Anchor Brewing Company was acquired by Sapporo USA, just one brewery, uh, for $85 million in wow. that same amount in uh, in 2017. And, and so obviously these are not apples to apples or oranges to oranges in the case of Shock Top, but you are looking at just a dramatically lower, you know, sort of valuation on a per barrel price. And Shock Top is a really good example of that type of sort of bargain basement value that Tilray appears to have gotten because as much as uh, much of a joke as it is, and, and I you know, I, I mock it. And I think a lot of other people who are you know more into beer, um, look down their noses at it. It's certainly not a beer that's going to win awards or win sort of, you know, accolades, you know, traction with, uh, the vanguard of America's, you know, beer drinkers, but it sells a lot. 
it's doing like, uh, you know, you're looking at several hundred thousand barrels a year still, even though it's been wow. on the, yeah, I know it's a huge brand, dude. Like even though it's been on the decline since 2017 and is losing like tons of, you know, uh, uh, tons of traction in the marketplace, it's sales are, are not great. Um, Brewbound, our pals at Brewbound reported uh, on the, you know, when the sale broke, they did a little breakdown of recent scan data uh, pertaining to Shock Top's performance in the market. And it's top three SKUs, like the the original, which is, I think, you know, that's what you're drinking. And then they have t- uh, Twisted Pretzel Wheat. Um, and then they Sorry? have, yeah, that's right. Uh, don't, uh, there's nothing I can say to you that's going to make it any easier for you to understand. So let's just move on. It's twisted pencil wheat. Don't ask any more questions. It's better to just not. Uh, (laughs) and then then there's, uh, there's, uh, a canned product that they rolled out called zest squeeze the day. Um, that is sort of their answer to, or their attempted answer to blue moons, uh, light sky product, which is a lighter, you know, sort of hard seltzer adjacent beer. That's, Mm. um, that actually performs well. Light sky performs really well. Uh, zest squeeze the day, uh, perhaps because it's the stupidest fucking name, uh, in the beer business does not. Um, but those, anyway, those three brands, uh, the original twisted pretzel wheat, and then um, Zest Squeeze the Day, those are down anywhere between 14% and 95% in terms of yeah, 95% down in volume, uh, according to Nielsen scan data, off-premise scan data analyzed by our pals at Brewbound. So we're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about uh, I mean, that's a free fall, right? Like, and that Zest Squeeze the Day, I think, has just struggled a lot. That's you right. know, year to date uh, compared to the trailing 52-week period. And I think it was introduced in 2022, so it's always going to get a bigger lift. And then when it comes around to lap, it looks terrible. But the point here, I don't want to get too in the weeds. Uh, I know I already am. Um, The point here is that we are not looking at a particularly beloved brand. I mean, the American drinking public is clearly not reacting um, with enthusiasm for these products, but it's huge. And so the fact that Tilray, which is has a relatively small you know, foothold in the American beer business overall, um, even, you know, even with this acquisition, you know, compare it to Molson Coors or Anheuser-Busch or even Boston Beer Company, it's it's nowhere near the barrelage, right? Like the fact that they're able to get a hold of a brand that size and, you know, um, get all of the access to all of those distributors that carry Shock Top, the, the accounts that carry Shock Top, the brand name and the brand equity, you know, there's a there's a case to be made there that uh, at the right price, there's still there's still value there. Mm-hmm. And you know, got a little two part here for you, Dave. You know, question. You know, first part of that being, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that in some of your coverage, I read that maybe Shock Top started or or, or was created as maybe a competitor to uh, Blue Moon, or yes. or maybe try and lure in some. Okay, so lure in some of those Blue Moon drinkers. More recently. I think a trend in all of beverage alcohol um, is flavors. Um, But in beer specifically, some of the biggest product releases we've seen in recent years have been unabashedly or unashamedly like flavored releases, juice bomb kind of things, right? Is there maybe part of part of Tilray or, you know, Irwin and his team, is there maybe a part of them right now that's thinking with the right marketing, we know this style of beer is working well. Can we capture some of those drinkers who are basically like propping up beer sales right now, right? Like without those people, without those dollars going to those styles of beers, maybe the craft beer market or the beer market looks a lot worse. Craft beer market looks a lot worse than it does right now. Like, do you think that's part of it? Or are they just saying like, look, there can be more Blue Moon slash Shock Top style drinkers out there and we just need to position this right. Like, where do you think the thinking is there? I think it's two things. The first thing, and I think the the governing principle um, of this acquisition, at least the, where the value is for Tilray, the primary value, is the additional footprint that it gains immediately in the US market geographically. You know, one of the... Simon presented a PowerPoint, you know, deck to analysts, you know, in the aftermath of announcing the deal um, that one of the slides has, you know, the, the 
classic like map of the U.S. laid out, overlaid with um, Tilray's you know new and existing you know brewing assets, and you can you can see the geographic sort of strategy take shape. Um, they're strong in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they're strong in, you know, they have some strength in California. They're very strong in Florida and the Northeast. These are all big, you know, beer drinking states. And the business that Tilray is in and wants to be in and already has demonstrated, you know, some success with uh, is buying up brands, combining their production, combining their, you know, sales force, combining their back office and and whatever. Um, they're purchasing all the stuff, all those synergies that we were joking about earlier, um, and leveraging those uh, to deliver not only you know top line growth but also bottom line growth, right? So if you can if you can grow the top line by selling more beer, but you get less efficient at doing it, then your bottom line you know doesn't grow, and that's that's bad because that's your you know that's your take home. Um, if you can grow one, uh, you would ideally want to grow the bottom line and you see that done, um, you know, most infamously in the industry and hazard Bush InBev itself, uh, right when InBev took over in 2008, um, they became notorious. The, the Brazilian executives that took over, um, became notorious for just slashing to the bone, um, everything having to do with the company's operations. So um, you can grow bottom line, you know, like that as well, right? You just make every, you stop doing all the shit you were spending money on uh, and you continue making, you know, you continue selling more or less the same amount of beer, the bottom line is going to grow. Now you can only cut yeah. once is the wisdom in the industry. You know, like once something's gone, it's gone. And then where are you going to get the growth next year? So ideally you want to get top line and bottom line growth. That's not a beer industry thing. That's just a business thing. Um, Tilray is clearly looking at both top and bottom line opportunities, but I think the bottom line uh, opportunity is probably the one that's motivating this uh, this deal the very most uh, is this mm -hmm. opportunity to um, consolidate you know operations to to brew you know find sort of like simpatico relationships between the breweries in their existing portfolio and then the ones they're going to add for example um, you know Blue Point is in Patchogue, Rhode Island and Montauk Brewing is uh, just whatever 30 miles east of that um, Montauk needs capacity. Blue Point has capacity. Um, so all of a sudden, they've backed themselves into a nice, you know, sort of symbiotic relationship between two breweries that they already that they're going to own, right? And so they don't mm -hmm. have to go out and and give away margin to contract out like Montauk's additional capacity, right? That's that's an attractive win there. And so I think they're thinking like that. The shock top thing, though, I think you're right on, and I think that. I kind of love this idea uh, because as much, like I said, as much as I am not going to drink shock top, like I don't drink any of the stuff that is the best seller with American, you know, drinkers. Like that's, you know, like this is more on your side of the, the beer, wine, spirits divide than mine. But like, look at all the popular shit in spirits right now just demonstrates like a very childlike American palate, like screwball, for example, just so, you know, like big time, 100%. there was a tie up with old smoky and uh Tante uh, tequila, which <laughs> is like infused tequilas and uh, like moonshine. That's flavored like apple pie. Like these are not things that I drink. It's a, that's a personal preference, but you can look at the number of cases that they're moving and you know that, People are drinking them. People are buying them and people For are drinking sure. them. Uh, in the beer business, it's no different, right? Like you referenced before, these fruity, these hazy IPAs, um, which are basically, again, you know, looking at Bart Watson's fresh data uh, uh, from the Brewers Association mid-year through 2023, some of the only like real growth right now uh, in the craft beer industry, the segment, is coming from double and triple hazy IPAs and double and triple Imperial IPAs, and by that we mean, you know, more or less the the juice forces and the fruit forces exactly. of the world, the Voodoo Ranger uh, products, um, and and their ilk, right? Other you know similar like products from um, other producers. So that stuff is what's working with the American drinking public, and we've seen both legacy brewers and you know uh, younger, more agile ones push into that space. Um, um, 
in their way, right? So like New Belgium is looking at a hard juice right now, um, like a literal hard juice. That I, I haven't tasted it yet, but like that's how they're describing it. Um, Dogfish Head is uh, is pushing uh, Golden Squall, I think it's called, Citrus Squall, excuse me, which is like a, a fruited golden ale. Um, I think New Belgium also has like another like very fruited uh, beer, whatever. The point is that like, this is where the American palate is right now. Um, it is coming out of its sort of hard seltzer heyday. Um, it is looking for more like, you know, fuller, uh, still super accessible flavors, but like still like fuller, juicier, sweeter um, flavors. And Shock Top isn't that far away from what we're describing here. I think Shock Top... I kind of love the move. I kind of think that shock top makes sense for this. I think the biggest problem with this, Tim, is that like it, it was always trying to be blue moon and it just isn't, you can't be something that you're not right. And and they were, they were late to the party. Blue moon hits in 1995 shock top rolls out in 2006, a full decade, you know, more than a decade later. Um, You know, the American drinking public for all its sort of uh, shortcomings uh, they hate a loser. They hate a, they hate a Johnny come lately. They hate a second fiddle. Um, yeah. you know, no one wants to be drinking the second best thing. The, you know, the copy of the thing, like they just drink the thing, just drink That's blue good. moon. Right. Um, I think Tilray, if they're going to be successful with shock top and reposition it for this, this juicy future we have is, uh, is to just divest any trappings of like, craft and blue moon reposition entirely it's not it's not yeah. a craft beer real craft heads don't fucking want it uh and everyone who you want to sell it to in the mainstream doesn't want craft beer it doesn't you know so get rid of that entirely uh give the mm-hmm. people what they want give us that uh that sweet that funk that uh i forget the rest <laughs> there you know where i'm going with that <laughs> but that, that you know, I, I I love that. I I love where we're heading with this. I love you know the direction we're going here. Follow up question for you about the just Americans hating losers, right? You know, it's it's a very good way to put it, right? No one wants the second <laughs> fiddle, right? Right, right. You know, yeah. It's like, um, but you know, I've been I I personally been in this country what uh, six years now, and you know, I was. Not very aware of Shock Top's existence at all, right? So maybe, maybe I arrived too late. But what I'm saying here is like that demographic of drinkers too that is opting for kind of like these these juicy, you know, beers, beers, you know, that don't really resemble beers at all, right? Like that mainstream public that are buying those things. How familiar do you think they are also with Shock Top and Shock Top's positioning, or is this almost like? that it can come out, maybe not come out of the gates as like a new brand, but come out of the gates with people just like not really associating it with anything, right? Because like you cover this stuff a lot and, you, and you're and you very nostalgic when it comes to your analysis of things too, you know, as as we've seen in the, the Tea Party episode, which I love very oh, much, by the way. I shout out say, to Andy you know? Nathan. Oh, Taplines listener, <laughs> if you haven't heard that one, go listen to the Tea Party episode uh, with Andy Nathan. It's a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so I, I'm wondering there, do you know, like how, what association does America have with this brand? And do you think that it kind of maybe does get a bit of a clean slate, especially if it comes up with some interesting marketing campaign around it, right? Like, is that a genuine possibility? Or am I just getting a little too excited like our friend Simon there? I think, I think <laughs> you're probably, I think you're right on. I think that that's the opportunity as it pertains to Shock Top is uh, for, for Tilray is, Let's take advantage of the scale. Let's take advantage of the footprint um, and, you know, the distributor relationships, the the retail relationships. And let's start thinking about what we can do to make this brand, you know, really sort of live up to that considerable footprint that it still has. You know, it never really earned that um, in the way that an independent brand would have to because, you know, every step of the way, it's an ABI brand from creation all the way to sale. So now the question is, what can Tilray do to 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 clean it up, to to make it look cooler, to you know, to to get the stank of uh, <laughs> corporate ABI sort of reverse engineering off of it and turn it into something that people actually want to drink? I do think that it is basically a clean slate. I don't. I mean, if there are like 
you know, true shock top heads out there, you know, like the real OG diehard fans. I don't know them. I've never met them. Have you ever met someone who's like, you know what I want is a shock top. Like it's just, it's just not a, it's just not really a, it's not a brand that has that type of cachet, even in the way blue moon does blue moon has far more, you know, sort of a sway with consumers. So I think that that blank, you know, that, that sort of irrelevance uh, could actually work in its favor here, because I do think that that gives Tilray run runway um, to develop, uh, redevelop the brand uh, in a way that fits in with this new strategy that they're going to be pursuing. Mm-hmm. And Dave, you know, we're, we're we're devoting a lot of time here to Shock Top uh, because it is a as we should, <laughs> as we should, just just making sure you know uh, because it is a really fascinating and interesting one. It's it's a funny reminder. But what are some of the other um, brands in this acquisition that that really stand out to you, or or offer a couple of things for us to explore and chat about today as well? I think. Um, you know, the other big stories that I'm going to be looking at as Tilray, you know, closes on this deal, the deal is still not closed, but you know, these things normally will go through. There's not really going to be antitrust concerns. Tilray is not big enough for that. Um, it's hard for me to see why this would get blown up unless there's something, you know, about the deal that hasn't come to light yet. Um, so let's assume that it goes through, right? The storylines that I'm going to be watching aside from shock tops, like, potential resurrection um <laughs> is, there's a few one is the restoration of the potential restoration of uh red hook brewery which is pacific northwest og uh brewery they've been around i think since 94 um red hook was um one of the one of the you know original sort of micro breweries they were known of at the time that first sort of concerned Anheuser-Busch executives way back in 96. This is this is before InBev, of course, by a long shot. They're like, oh, man, we need to take this seriously. There's something going on in the, in the Pacific Northwest that you know, we really don't have an answer to. One of those beers was, was Red Hook. So Red Hook has its uh, Big Ballard, I think, is their biggest skew. It's an Imperial IPA. I want to say maybe a double. Um, and it's going to be... That'll be interesting to see how that brand sort of fares under Tilray. Um, Red Hook never really got the greatest look from ABI once they took over because it was in the Craft Brewers Alliance, the CBA, um, that ABI had a stake in, but only you know purchased fully um, a couple of years ago. So it was always it always had this weird relationship with uh, with Anheuser Busch. And I think that really worked to Red Hook's detriment um, in terms of, you know, it had an opportunity to become a national or at least, you know, seriously regional brand. And I think it may be, you know, underperformed there. So that's one thing that I want to see how they handle that. Another um, is Widmer Brothers, which is an iconic Portland brewery that, um, you know, they're uh, as much a pioneer, if not more than Red Hook. It was started by two brothers in in uh, in Oregon, and you know for a while was really just hot shit. You know they had a, a Hefeweizen that I think introduced a lot of American drinkers to that you know the concept of wheat beers generally, right? Especially on the on the West Coast and the and the Pacific Northwest. Widmer is interesting for a couple different reasons. One, there's been some um, they closed their like on premise like tap room pub. A couple years ago, I think, very suddenly, and ABI never really like gave an answer for what was going on there. I know locals like uh, Jeff Allworth, uh, who runs the Beervana blog, um, has been you know taking a close look at what's going on there because it just apparently was a big you know people people really liked it and and they just kind of closed it and never since reopened it. So there's some sort of community um, aspects to it that'll be interesting to see if if Tilray leans into that. I mean, that is where growth is coming from uh, in craft brewing right now is tap rooms is owned and operated on premise. Um, that is the growth, uh, not package, not certainly not draft. So it'll be interesting to see if Tilray leans into stuff like that. I'm also interested to see at Widmer what they do about the uh, union that is formed at Widmer and is currently in bargaining with the company for its first contract. There's, there's, um, I want to say 54 uh, or so 
workers at Widmer that are bargaining uh, with the local Teamsters unit hmm. um, in order to be collectively represented and, and have a union contract. There's typically like continuity um, in situations like this, but I'm not exactly sure how it works. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I just the other day wrote a story about how I believe, and I still do, I stand by it, that unionizing Anheuser-Busch's craft brewing portfolio is a path forward for the labor movement in the craft brewing industry because it creates a template for that can be duplicated at other you know, similar businesses because it, um, you know, it makes it harder to ignore the pay disparities between craft breweries and macro breweries, which are typically union and, and therefore have better wages and, um, and better benefits and things like that. Now, ABI's craft portfolio is a little smaller uh, because it got rid of eight brands. Um, but it's it, the the question remains of you know sort of what is the what does the labor movement um, look like at Widmer moving forward under Tilray's leadership? And that mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure about. I have an email out with uh, with the teams your local there again. They're in bargaining. They're in, they're in motion. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, those are things to watch for sure. Another thing that I want to flag with you, because I think listeners, it, and, and of course you, Tim, uh, should give a little bit of a, a better sense for how much of a, you know, oddball deal this is, or oddball is not a maverick deal, a, a contrarian deal is probably a better way to put it. Um, Erman Simon interviewed with uh, Brewbound with Justin Kendall over at Brewbound the other day. And um, one other thing, it's an interesting interview. And if you're a, a subscriber of Brewbound, I recommend it. It's a great trade publication. Um, but one of the things that he said was basically like, uh, this is not a direct quote, but they had already acquired Breckenridge Distillery um, in, I don't know, like 2021 or maybe early 2022. And, Basically, everyone just kept on getting confused and thought that they own Breckenridge Brewery, which is like a different, a totally unrelated business. It's just not the same business. So, like, again, I'm not quoting here, but I'm paraphrasing. But he's basically, yeah. So, like, we just kind of started looking at that business because, like, everyone kept on asking us if it was if we were like the Breckenridge Brewery. It's like, did you just buy this brewery? Like, because it was, it would be like less annoying to deal with emails. If you just owned both of them, like both the brewery and the distillery, like, wow. uh, yeah. So, you know, I think like, I, I, I don't want to say that to, to claim that there's no logic behind it and that there's no thesis behind it. Um, I, truthfully, I think the thesis is decently strong, especially given the, the fire sale price that, that, uh, Tilray got, you know, they don't have to, mm-hmm. they don't have to do much right to make it worth it in a way that ABI had to do everything right to try to you know, make it worth it to keep these brands. Um, but I did think that was funny and I did think it was just like a weird way to look at it, you know, like, Oh, well, we, it has the same name. Why don't we just buy it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I, I love as well. Some of the, you know, parts of the conversations we've had today have been like, you look at a headline, right? Tilray acquires eight brands from Anheuser-Busch and you're like, all right, that's a fairly bland and, or it could be a very bland tale, right? Just eight, eight different things in right. a portfolio. And then you start to break it down like this and you're like, yeah, it is big business. Are people at the top, are these people crazy? Or, you know, is there a lot of logic to this? Is there more to it than we're seeing? And I guess I, I, I want to get your thoughts here on the record, Dave. I, I, I want to, I want you to, to to lay down your verdict here and say that just as now we can look back and and chuckle not not chuckle but we can think how crazy it was for example for Anheuser Busch to launch a drinks a craft beer publication uh, you know back in the day. <laughs> Like that was ever, you know, both of us being in media here, like that was ever going to make a lot of money for anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So now looking back, if you were to look back in 10 years time, does this end up being oddball decision, but ultimately eh, maybe not the biggest deal in the world? Because, you know, we are talking 85 million, not not massive sums in the history of craft beer acquisitions, as you've told us. Right. Or is this maybe a stroke of genius? Are we looking at the beer equivalent of, and I hope you'll stick with me here, like a Moneyball situation where I love that movie, mm, you know, mm. and, and, you know, Billy Bean 
taking these things and acquire them and being like, you know what? There's unseen potential in these brands. And actually, if we can make it work or if we can make each of them work just a little bit, this mm -hmm. is going to be great. Dave, you're going on the record now. What's the decision? Oh, man, you can hold me to it. Ten years from now, you're going to get me on the phone and be like, I told you, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a great question. Moneyball, I think, is a great frame to look at. The optimistic case for Tilray's acquisitions here being a stroke of genius. I think that you know, you look at where value, you know, everyone is, of course, looking to grow, but you're also looking to to find value in assets that already exist, right? And this is very, like, cold, calculated, like, business, you know, sort of terminology that I think repulses or at least repulsed a lot of the, you know, craft brewing intelligentsia, so to speak, over the course of the past decade. But the industry has moved well past that at this point. And there's no love lost or no sort of illusions that, you know, something like uh, Blue Point Brewing Company is is artisanal and, uh, you know, uh, farm to table and all that good shit. Like that's, that is past that, that milieu is, is uh, dissolved, especially around these breweries. I think there's value in these assets. Um, you know, we talked about just, you know, shock top is kind of the best example of it, but like you look at what the actual deal is and what shock top has to offer a brand like Tilray. And you can start to see, even though the shock value, no pun intended of, of saying that that brand a still exists and B someone paid money for it, uh, in 2023, that's funny. And, and I stand by it. Like, that's crazy. I think that's nuts. But it's nuts in a way that is bold and certainly has risk, but is not without logic. Like there's a logic there. I like the move. I think that the question is whether Tilray can execute in a way that, you know, is going to allow it to unlock the benefit of that scale to to get those synergies that it tells investors it's going to be able to get. Um I don't know a ton about the way this company operates or whether it's had success, you know, doing that in the past in other aspects of its business. It's early gains in craft brewing, though, since acquiring Sweetwater um, are promising. Um, it's craft, it's alcohol division, which is all just the American craft beer breweries that it owns. Um, it's up something like 30% uh, in 2020, the, the close of the past, the last fiscal year. Um they're, you know, they're seeing it contribute um, about 15% to its already, that division is contributing about 15% to its overall revenues, um, which is, I mean, this is significant. It's not the biggest company in the world, but it's a, you know, like I said, market cap of $2 billion with a B, like 15% uh, of revenues for that type of company is, is not nothing, right? It's about $95 million. Um, so they're having some success there. And if they can continue doing that, I, yeah, put it on the record. I think that's the if, right. Is if they execute the way they have with the brands that they already got. Um, I see no reason that this is an albatross around Tilray's neck. I think it's, a, I think there's a, there's a good case to be made that, um, there's some money ball being played here. And, uh, and I would be, I would I I would be shocked if this was the sort of thing that um, that sank the company or that even turned out to be a mistake um, down the line because of all of the doors that it opens with the distributors and the and the retail accounts and and again I just keep coming back to the price man like it's just not that dangerous they paid for it in all cash they didn't even they didn't even you know have to lever up to make this acquisition <laughs> like this is not this is you know like there's only so many things that can go wrong when you don't pay, you know, a billion dollars like Constellation did for Ballast Point, in 20, infamously did in 2015. Um, I think they're going to be fine here. I think it, I like the move. I think it's, you know, if the question is crazy or crazy like a fox, I think it's crazy like a fox here. I like the, I like the risk appetite. And I think it, I think it could, could, uh, could really pan out for him. So if I'm wrong, no one is allowed to, to uh, tell me I told you so. Uh, 10 well, years everyone will have forgotten about Shock Top again in 10 years' time. That's right. <laughs> and then you and I will buy it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we will give you $7,500 for it. <laughs> you know, we didn't get into it much as well, but I, I'm interested to see what happens with the energy drink too, whether that becomes revived, because if they didn't have any plans for it, right? Like, why would Tilray be like, yeah, 
stick that in the bag as well. You know, we might so as well. The working like, theory that, yeah, good. Uh, the question is like whether this was like a make good to just get this deal over the line or they have like serious designs on it. My suspicion, Tilray has several SKUs, even in the US and certainly in the in Canada, um, of non-alcoholic THC infused beverage. Um, so it's it seems like a good guess, at least, that they may see an opportunity there. Um, but it's not clear because they just don't have much they don't have any track record in the US of operating this type of brand. And I'm not sure what they're up to there. But uh we'll see, man. <laughs> we'll see. Well, Dave, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this this crossover episode, this this turning the tables. I'm walking out of this feeling a lot clearer just in my understanding of the deal. So thank you very much for that, man. Thank you for joining us. Tim McCurdy, Cocktail College. Everyone go check out Cocktail College on also on the Vine Pair Podcast Network. He's my podcast brother from another podcast mother. It's a fantastic show uh, that covers, God, every aspect of every drink that you've ever heard of and many that you haven't in a way that um, is not thuddingly boring like most cocktail podcasts are. It's actually quite fantastic, and he's got some of the best guests in the business on there. I can't recommend it enough. If you like tap lines, you'll love Cocktail College, probably for other reasons, but whatever. We'll take your love in whatever form it comes in. Tim, thanks for joining tap lines. It's always a pleasure, my friend. I'll see you again soon. Dave, pleasure is mine. Cheers. Enjoy the shop <laughs> <laughs> Taplines is recorded in Richmond, Virginia, and produced by yours truly and Darby Seaside, who, along with the talented Shane Farrick, composed our delightful soundtrack. Just listen to it. I also want to give a quick shout-out to the entire Vine Pair team, and especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, Editor-in-Chief Joanna Sherino, Managing Editor Tim McCurdy, and Art Director Danielle Grinberg, who designed our lovely Taplines logo. And of course, a big thank you to you, yes you listener, for spending time with us week in and week out. We literally couldn't do this without you. I'm Dave Infante, and I'll catch you next time.